0: I am finished with human wisdom I have had human wisdom fed to me all my life everyone telling me why I couldn't do what I'm doing why I shouldn't go this direction or that direction why I need to be practical I'm just done with human wisdom this morning in my prayer time I was beginning to just meditate on this issue of human wisdom. And I recognize that everything in the human realm is affected by entropy. It's going downhill, including my body, your body. Everything of human wisdom finally ends up on the ash heap of history. it is not eternal and my heart cry is for that which is eternal i'm tired of the temporary i'm tired of the of the foolishness of pretending that human wisdom has any eternal value it doesn't it has no eternal value it is only that which is eternal that will last. So it won't surprise you if I tell you that my least one of my least favorite people in all of the scriptures is a man by the name of Jethro. I say the name with disgust. I'll explain. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. My name is Ray Greenlee. I'm a pastor, National Prayer Chapel, and I walk by faith in Jesus, trusting in the eternal wisdom of my Lord, knowing that no other wisdom has any value. I want to read for you a portion of scripture as we begin. It's out of the New Testament from the book of 1 Corinthians. I'll begin in the first chapter, verse 18. For the word of the cross is to the ones perishing foolishness. But to us, the ones being saved, it is the power of God. For it stands written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise ones and the understanding of the intelligent I will confound. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Did not God make foolish the wisdom of this world? For since by the wisdom of God the world did not know God, by the wisdom, God was well pleased to save the ones believing by the foolishness of preaching. Since the Jews indeed ask for a sign, (coughs) pardon me, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ as having been crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. But to them that are called, both to Jews and Greeks, Christ and the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many are wise after the flesh, not many are mighty, not many are of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world that he might put the wise to shame and chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the strong things. And God chose the common people of the world, the ones having been disregarded and the ones not not being, that he might set aside the ones being so that all conceivable flesh may not glory before the God of heaven but you are in Christ Jesus by means of him, who because, who became to us wisdom from God, both righteousness and holiness and redemption. So that, as it stands written, the one glorying, let him glory in the Lord. And I, having come to you, brethren, came not in superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the mystery of God. For I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him having been crucified. That's my desire, to come to this broadcast day by day, proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I am tired of all the worldly wisdom. I don't want anything to do with it. And that's why I don't like Jethro. Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. And after Moses had led the children of Israel out of that wreck of a nation, Egypt, took them through the Red Sea, took them safely into the wilderness, and now they're being fed on the manna. And now they're on their way to to Mount Sinai, where God is going to proclaim the law and give to them a a wonderful culture that will shape the lives of the Jewish people for the rest of their history. Jethro comes bringing his wife Zipporah and the children. Zipporah evidently left Moses when she was so angry with him and accused him of being a a bridegroom of blood. So Jethro comes and he sent them an announcement. He said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and two sons. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. This is in Exodus, the 18th chapter. Verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Now we need to stop. Jethro is not described in Scripture as a follower of the Lord God of heaven. His religion is that of the Druze. The Druze were an eclectic religion, corrupt, often worshiping the Baal of poor, often worshiping the Asherah, the fertility gods. He was not a follower of the Lord God of heaven. He was a pagan priest. He was Moses' father-in-law. He was Zipporah's father. But I suspect that Zipporah was much more inclined to follow her father than Moses. And Zipporah will, will disappear. We don't know if she died. There are Jewish traditions, but I think they're foolishness. I'm going to go by what the actual scriptures say. I'm not going to add to or take away from what the word of God says with the foolish wisdom of man and his made-up stories. I don't know what happened to Zipporah, but I know there was not a happy marriage between Moses and Zipporah. And later, Moses married another woman but that's a story we'll get to later. So now he's saying, I know the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And people take this and say, well, that means he's now going to worship the Lord God of heaven. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Just because somebody goes to church with you and and is very excited about all the wonderful things God has done for you does not mean they're going to repent. You remember Balaam? He offered seven bulls. Did that mean he was a follower of the Lord God of heaven? No, he used divination to speak with God, and God deigned to speak with him with divination because he was dealing with the children of Israel. He was he was a witchcraft priest. He was not a godly man. Well, this man, Jethro, is also not a godly man. He's a priest of a pagan religion. Now, yes, they were friends with Israel because of the connection with Moses. But now I want you to look at several things. The next day, Moses takes his seat in the seat of authority, the seat of judgment, to serve as a judge for the people. And there were people standing around from morning till evening waiting for the judgment that Moses would make. I don't know, maybe judgments recording livestock issues or conflict issues, fights in the family. I don't know what all the issues were, but there were many in a crowd of 2 million people. And they would stand around and they would speak to Moses and he would get God's counsel. And then he would render a judgment. And Jethro sees this. And he says, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Why are you doing this, Moses? And Moses answered, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. And Moses' father-in-law replies, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. Now he's going to give them his worldly wisdom regarding how they should organize, how he should organize the children of Israel. Is God not able to tell Moses how to organize the children of Israel? Is Jethro in the place of God? Now, I want to speak about, quickly, human wisdom. It almost always will come seeming as though it is wise and profound and the outcome will be excellent. We have in the church today a a whole, and it's been going on now for a number of years out of the church growth people, that somehow you have to have a statement of purpose for your church. You have to have goals for your church. I thought the goals for the church were found in the Great Commission. I don't find separate goals for the church. But it seems like human wisdom to get that all put together and then let's have a flow chart of how we're going to achieve all of this. And so boards will spend hours hammering out their action plan for the coming year. And it's all based on human wisdom. And so pastors today, by and large, are CEOs. And most American pastors are program managers. And they keep themselves very, very busy. I'm often... At wit's end, because people will say to me, Oh, Pastor, I know you're very busy. And they're kind of stunned when I say, No, I'm not really busy. What do you mean you're not busy? Well, I'm spending a lot of time in prayer and scripture, meditation, meditation. Is that busyness? No, that's not busyness. Jonathan Edwards had to deal with this. I've read his account. He takes over his grandpa's church. And the people are wanting him to attend many different social events that are held by the families of the church. And he turns them down, instead he sits in his study some for a long period of time, for some eighteen hours a day, he would be in his study, and he would be weeping before the Lord over the lost condition of his church. He would be reading the scriptures, he would be praying, he would seeking he was seeking after God for a great awakening. He saw the wickedness in the church, and he was very troubled by it. His grandfather had admitted those who were half-converted, that is, those who were not totally committed to Jesus, who were still walking in known sin, and gave them the privilege of having Christian marriages and Christian burials And after Jonathan Edwards had worked this through in the prayer closet, he finally said, you know what, we're going to end this practice. If you're not a totally committed Christian, if you're not totally given to Jesus, if you're still walking in known sin, you cannot be a member of this congregation. Well, that did not go over well. And so he wrote, a very dry sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he delivered it to his church in a dry monotone. And they were bored, and nothing happened. But a neighboring church heard about the sermon, and they invited Jonathan Edwards to come and deliver that same sermon to their church. And so he stood before the congregation and he began to read in a dry monotone this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the power of the Holy Spirit fell on the place. People began to weep and groan and fall to the floor. Men began to grab the pillars in the church. They were afraid. They felt like it was, the whole church was tipping and they were going to fall into the pit of hell. Great conviction seized the people. And a great awakening began. Now, it's interesting that Jonathan Edwards' wife was so stricken with conviction and so filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit that all she could do was lay in bed and sing praises to Jesus. She couldn't even stand. She was so filled with the Spirit. And Jonathan Edwards had to take care of his wife. There are many stories out of this, but I share this with you today to say that it always seems wise and profound to accept human wisdom on the organization of the church. The church has to have a, a CEO. It has to have a coach. It has to have programs. It has to have this and it has to have that. It needs air conditioning in the sanctuary. It needs soft cushions on the seats. It has to have beautiful carpet. It has to. Who says? That's not the way churches grow. New carpet won't make your church grow. One church out by Wooster, Ohio, they were a small church They decided the only way they could grow was to borrow the money and build a a beautiful fellowship hall where there was a good floor, a wood floor put in for basketball and a full basketball court. So the families could gather for basketball and volleyball and social gatherings. and, And this is going to make our church grow. Well, guess what? It didn't cause the church to grow, and they have struggled year after year, after year, paying off this foolish mortgage. Human wisdom is utterly foolish. It seems wise. It seems profound. And Number two, human wisdom seems to always come with, with basically good intentions. People have said to me, Pastor, you just can't do that. I can't? Jesus told me to. Well, it's not, it's not wise. You're going to end up losing everything. You're going to end up having to go off the air, Pastor, because people won't give if you don't ask them to give money for this broadcast. You'll go off the air a lot of you wrote to me and said that okay godly wisdom was given to me in counsel by one of our listeners who said pastor you trust jesus for your personal income why don't you trust him for the for the resources for ministry Well, the more I prayed about that, the more clear it was that, in fact, that is true. It's the Lord who moves and opens the way. But for some reason, human wisdom always comes with good intentions. It seems wise. It seems profound. And another factor, number three is human wisdom always wants to come and tell you why you cannot continue to do what you're already doing. Pastor, you you just can't keep doing this. It's, It's not right. They told Jonathan Edwards, you can't sit in your study and weep and pray and read your scriptures all day. You've got to be out and socialize with your people or they will stop coming to worship. Well, just the opposite was true. But I also need to tell you that Jonathan Edwards' church finally fired him for his righteousness. He was sought after by many, but his home church fired him. Okay. So he went to teach, to tutor Indian children, American Indian children. And he tutored them by teaching them from the scriptures. And it was there that he received a call to become the president of Princeton University. Now, Jonathan Edwards was not always willing to follow the wisdom of God. A new vaccine came out and he thought everybody should get it. So he set himself as an example and he took this wonderful new vaccine and contracted the illness and shortly died thereafter and cut short his ministry. Now, number four human wisdom usually comes from people that you love or people that you respect. It'll often come from family members who will tell you why you can't keep doing what you're doing, family members who will tell you, you can't trust Jesus to provide. You're going to have to do it yourself." Or people who whom you respect, who say, "You know, pastor, you need to you need to do something different. You're preaching too much on righteousness. You're preaching too much on repentance. You're preaching too much on on this or that. You You need to begin, as one man said to me, he said, you need to begin to bring into your sermons the quotations from famous men and women. People like famous quotes to give integrity to what you're saying. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute does the scripture not have that kind of authority i preach the word of god well pastor that's okay but you need to bring in quotes from abraham lincoln and george washington and and other great men and women i'll help you i'll find quotes for you tell me what your sermon's going to be for next week and i'll research and i'll come up with quite a number of very helpful quotes that will that will be convincing to people. No, thank you. Well, pastor, you're never going to be a great preacher if you don't preach the words of great men and women. Okay, I don't need to be a great preacher. I need to be one who lifts up Jesus and the cross. I've often had people quite angry with me because I don't turn aside. I am by by nature a soft-spoken person. I am by nature a kindly, pleasing man. I know that about myself. And the Lord has had to deal extensively with my heart that I would finally be bold enough to speak the truth in love and not and not allow others to influence my preaching. It's one of the reasons he put me on the radio because here I can't see your faces and I don't know if you like what I'm saying or you hate what I'm saying. And frankly, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm going to be speaking the straight word of God The wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. But always, number five, human wisdom always seems to couch their wisdom in terms of of making your life more productive or more secure. If you follow my advice, Pastor, you're going to be happier you're going to have a fuller life. And as you're more successful, you'll be able to buy that car that you would like to drive instead of the old clunker you're driving. (laughs) I just laugh. I want a much more productive life but I want that productive life in terms of revival and the word of God and lost sinners being saved. I'm not interested in being being more productive in growing some great church or becoming very successful in having everybody seek after me. I'm not interested. Just the opposite. I'd go the other direction, and I do, often. But poor Jethro, he comes to Moses, and he makes the judgment. Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me, and I'll give you some advice, and God be with you. Almost always people come with advice, and they couch it in. If you do this, God will be with you. Well, here's his advice: You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them to decrees, teach them the decrees and laws, and show them the way to live. And the duties that you're to, that they're to perform. In other words, you're only supposed to preach, Moses. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. Sounds wise, doesn't it? But God didn't tell them to organize Israel that way, and by the way, I don't have time to share it today, but we'll deal later with it. Much of the trouble and rebellion in the camp came out of these people who thought they had authority with Moses, that after their appointment, they began to think of themselves as somebody. While Moses was extremely humble. Now, as he reorganizes his management structure. He's told, here are the good results you can expect. Number one, you're going to have less work because now your work is going to be shared with others. So your life is going to be easier. And God is commanding you to follow me as though a pagan priest could come to Moses. The absurdity that a pagan priest could come to Moses and speak God's word to him? Are you kidding me? God speaks face to face with Moses. He doesn't need a Druze priest to come and speak his word to Moses. He, Moses hears directly from God face to face. He says, and if you do what I'm telling you, you'll be able to stand the strain. And now the secret. All the people will go home happy. They'll go home satisfied. Was Moses' job to keep the people happy? No. Is Moses' job to lighten his load so that he can have A bit of a vacation? No. Is the strain too much for Moses? No. What's he talking about? What he's done now is he has separated himself from the day by day intimate contact of the problems of his people. He's now put layers of administration into his business structure as do many pastors today. I did a workshop for a a mega church. It was a weekend workshop. And I closed the workshop. It was a very intense one on, on conflict resolution and management structure. And I closed the conference by going through this story of Jethro and gave the quotes from the commentaries that deal with this, not knowing that the senior pastor of that church had just been appointed, and he had given as his business plan the story of Jethro. That was how he was going to manage this church. And the whole board had bought in on this. So, It was not surprising when I saw very angry looks at me as I was closing this workshop, and and they very much disagreed with me because their whole church had been organized around this concept. Well, there are two simple lessons that I want to talk about. These two simple lessons... A number one, the follower of Jesus Christ will always have those who will say, you cannot continue to follow Jesus by taking up your cross. It's not practical. They'll say, you can't continue giving this amount of money. My father just right off the top, gave 50% of everything he earned to the work of the gospel for Jesus Christ. And of course, as I was growing up, we didn't have very much money. No, I didn't know that we were poor, but we were very poor because mom and dad were investing so much in what they most believed in, which was the work of the gospel. It meant we didn't live in a fancy house. In fact, it was a very humble house. We did not sometimes have those new shoes to wear. We got one new pair a year. And some of our clothes were not the latest. They were bib overhauls. We were looked down on by some of the people in the church, even though dad was the head elder and they thought he was quite wrong not to have his family dressed in the most recent cut-off jeans. You mean, I mean, not bib overhauls, but the, the, the jeans that come to the waist. We were not very stylish, and Mom and Dad, neither one were very stylish. And when they sent me off to a boarding academy and paid my way, I earned part of it, but they paid much of it. I have to tell you that I totally changed with the culture of that sophisticated boarding academy. And bib overhauls were no longer acceptable. And when I'd go home, I'd say, Mom, Dad, I can't. They're scorning me. They're laughing at me. I can't wear green jeans, work jeans. I can't wear those. I need, I need good Levi's. I need a nice shirt. And so they help me with those things. And when mom and dad would come and visit me at the boarding academy, I was always ashamed of them. I'm ashamed to tell you that, but I was always ashamed of them because mom was wearing a gingham dress and old-fashioned shoes, and dad was wearing a nice suit, but but not a, a modern suit. Real wide ties. They were out of style. They didn't care about style. They cared about Jesus. And they thought they were sending me to a school that would teach me about Jesus and prepare me for gospel ministry. Instead, the school taught me about worldliness and how to get ahead in life. It took me a lot of years to get all of that foolishness washed out of me. Maybe it's still not all washed out of me. But someone who takes up the cross of Jesus is told it's not practical. It's not right. You can't do it that way. You've got to do it this way, pastor. Well, I've learned that lesson. And I've made a commitment. I will take up the cross of Jesus and I will not listen to the Jethro's in my life. I'm not interested in people telling me, you must do this, Pastor, and you must do that. I'm not interested. I'm interested in the Word of God. If the Lord tells me not one penny of my money is to go to pay for that, then I'm not going to spend one penny of his money doing that. I'm just not going to do it. The second simple lesson that I've learned on this journey, that most of those who come to me with their worldly wisdom Most of those who hear and see what God has done will say, that's awesome, that's wonderful. But then they'll walk away from the journey of the cross. Human wisdom will never take up the cross of Jesus Christ. And I challenge you today to divorce yourself from all human wisdom and to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ and not be consumed by the internet, not be consumed by the television, not be consumed by the worldliness of our age, the shopping, the food, not be consumed by the style of our day. To take up your cross, And follow Jesus. I have a man, a pagan man, I consider a dear friend because I'm witnessing to him constantly. I'm calling him to follow Jesus. He's not yet made that decision, but he is very excited. And when we come together, he's always saying, Ray, what has God done for you? He wants to know the miracle stories. He wants to know, how is the radio still on the air? Where does the money come from? I recently did the funeral for his mother-in-law. And the funeral home, in spite of my protests, insisted on giving me a $300 honorarium. I didn't want it. It's not for me. I used it for the gospel. But as I was leaving, he handed me an envelope. When I got home, I opened it. And inside was a very generous check for $1,000. And a note just saying, Pastor, this will help you. Wow. He's now helping to pay for the work of the gospel. And he's a pagan. He's very interested to hear about the miracles of God. He's even eager for me to pray for he and his family, and I do. But as long as he walks in his human wisdom, he will never take up the cross of Jesus Christ for the wisdom of the human heart is totally at odds with the wisdom of God. Now, the icing on the cake of this Jethro story, and I'm going to share that with you in chapter 10, this is after he has witnessed the great move of God on Mount Sinai. This is after he has seen the manna fall day after day. He's eaten of the manna. After all that he's seen that God has done, he's seen the camp organized according to the word of God in the placement of, of the tents. He's seen what God has done. Now, Numbers, the 10th chapter, verse 29. Now, Moses said to Hobab son of rule, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. We are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. In other words, we're setting out for the promised land now. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. In other words, we're going to give you the very best of what God gives to us. Listen to his answer. No, I will not go. I'm going back to my own land and my own people. The world wants to give its human wisdom, but has no desire to walk in the wilderness with God's people. They want the comfort of the world. So please, before you take human wisdom and the direction of the human wisdom regarding a car the purchase, a home, whatever you're doing, seek the face of Jesus and listen to what he tells you to do. Moses said, please, Father, don't leave us. You know where we should camp in the desert and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord give us, gives us. Wait a minute. I thought the ark of the Lord was to go before them and the cloud was to go before them and that it was what chose the place of rest. It chose the campsites. Moses is speaking foolishness to his father-in-law. He's saying, Dad, why don't you come with us? You know the desert. You'll tell us where we should camp. No, he won't. God tells these people where they should camp. Verse 33, so they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during the three days to find them a place of rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day, and they set out from their camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, O Lord, make your enemies to be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Do you see? It's not the wisdom of man. It's not your understanding that you can trust in. It's not what you think. It's what God thinks. It's what God wants. It's not what you want. It's what God wants. Moses is saying, don't leave us. Tell us where we should camp. But it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the presence of God that tells them where to go and when to go and how to go. I know that many times I have received from very wise, worldly men counsel and advice, and that counsel and that advice has seemed very right. And they have told me of the dire things that were going to happen to me if I did not carefully follow their advice, their legal advice, their human wisdom. And when I have not followed it, they have cut me off and they've walked away in their human wisdom. I want to tell you today, it is the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that is eternal. Human wisdom is transitory and soon will pass away. It is the wisdom of the Lord God of heaven who is eternal and his wisdom will stand and will carry you through. My brother, my sister, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pray that God will give you his wisdom and will carry you through. I love you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I'll talk to you soon.